Thanks for joining us today. At City Life, we have one purpose, making it easy for people to say yes to Jesus. We believe today's message will empower you to do exactly that. But remember that church is so much more than a sermon you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life. And uh, you know, if you're joining us for the first time over the last couple weeks, We've been looking at different ways that we can maximize this moment we're in. You know, a really brilliant man by the name of a, a Paul, you might recognize his name, Paul the Apostle, or heard about him. If you went to, you know, grew up in a certain type of faith, you might have heard about the Apostle Paul. Well, you know, Paul wrote a letter once to some people who, believe it or not, were actually living in a more challenging time than we're in right now. Some of you are like, what could be worse than COVID-19? Actually, there's a lot that could be worse. And but Paul, what he did is he wrote a letter and he said, what you need, he said, I'm encouraging you. He said, redeem the time for the days are evil. And you know, maybe you've read that verse, you've heard somebody quoting that, you know, some person's like, we gotta redeem the time because the days are evil. And you're like, evil? Like that kind of has all sorts of weird pictures. You know what that word in the, the original language literally meant, this is where it becomes relatable. That word evil literally means annoying. Anybody annoyed by what's going on in life? Hello. <laughs> Maybe there's other circumstances you're facing in life that you are annoyed by. You know what? This is Paul was, was telling the people what he was encouraging them to do. He's like, listen, make the most of even the circumstances that are annoying. And you know what I love in this season? I love hearing the stories of so many of you that are actually taking a hold of this moment. You're, you are making the most of this moment. You're allowing God to make something in your heart and in your life that is so different. And I love, we've had so many stories and you know, maybe in the days of the weeks ahead, we're gonna hear some of those stories in person, but I just love hearing how some of you've already grabbed hold of this moment. You are allowing God to do the best, to do the most he can in you. You are making the most of this moment and it's amazing to already see, man, some of you, the transformation, it has been amazing. And I want to encourage you to just keep pressing in. Don't allow this moment to just be something that you ride out as tempting as that might be. This isn't one of those ride it out moments. We're making the most of it. We're going to thrive. We're going to increase in this season. And so, you know, last, a couple weeks ago, Mike launched this series that we're in called I Didn't Know. And um, he, he launched it with a verse Actually, a couple verses that was an invitation that Jesus once gave. And it's from Matthew 11 and verse 28. This is what Jesus said. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll discover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Man, maybe you can relate to that, especially that first part. Moms, I, I remember I had, I have two kids, they're adults now. I remember when they were little humans, it was challenging. And I think every mom who will be honest will say the get away with me part is pretty appealing at certain times. <laughs> get away with me. You know, and you might be thinking, yes, that's what I want. I need to get away from my kids. I love them, but I need to get away. You know, but to Jesus, he said, recover your life. And you might be thinking, man, I want that. Get a real rest. 
and you're like, please sign me up. That's what I want. But then Jesus continues, and this is where it gets kind of weird. He says, pick up my yoke and put it on. Take lessons from me. My heart is gentle, not arrogant. You'll find the rest you deeply need. My yoke is easy to wear. My load is easy to bear. And we're like, wait, what? What the heck is that yoke thing? It's like, Jesus, I need a bed, not a yoke. I know this is, again, this is where we discover the Jesus way to life doesn't always make sense. And how can something meant for work, a yoke, a yoke was like that big thing if you've been, or you know, watched old, you know, time movies or shows or, you know, where they put a yoke on two animals. It was this big wooden thing. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm thinking, uh, that doesn't sound very restful. That sounds like more work. It sounds heavy. But Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples and the people that he was teaching, this picture of this yoke, it was like, how can something meant for work actually bring me rest? And you know what, Jesus, what he was explaining was this, Jesus wasn't offering an escape from life. He was offering equipment for life. There's a big difference. And see, what Jesus was explaining was this, it's not what you're doing that's wearing you out. It's how you're doing it. That's the way you're doing it. See, in Jesus' day, this word yoke, it also meant something different. It meant a way of life. Specifically, it meant a rabbi or a teacher's way of life. In other words, the habits that they practiced. There were certain ways that they went about. It was part of their daily routine, something part of the daily rhythm of their life. It was called their yoke. And that's what Jesus, what he was actually saying was this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Do you want to recover your life? Do you want a real rest? Follow the way I do life. In other words, I will show you the way to turn a burden into a weight. See, there's a very big difference. See, a burden is something that creates emotional stress on our soul. But a weight, man, if you work out, you know what weights do? Weights give you muscles. They give you really big muscles. And this is what Jesus, what he was explaining. He's like, listen, I want to show you the way to do life. So this thing, this burden that you've been carrying, whatever it is that's creating stress in your soul and really wearing you out, I'm going to show you how to turn that thing into a weight that can build muscle in you, that can build spiritual muscle that can build muscle in your soul so that regardless of whatever the circumstances of life are, no matter what you're going through, it can actually be a season that will bring strength to you, that will increase you. And you know what? I firmly believe that is the kind of moment we were in right now. And this is what Jesus, in another version, he said, take up my yoke, take up, you know, it's, it's easy, it's light. This is how you're gonna recover your life. And in the message translation, he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, there was a certain rhythm to how Jesus did life. 
And this, this way of life or these habits, this yoke that Jesus was referring to, is also something that we call spiritual practices. Now you might be thinking, well, well why do you call it? It's like, what's a spiritual practice? Like, why do, why do you call it a spiritual practice? Well, it's because these habits, this way of life that Jesus practiced and that he invited us into, these spiritual practices are what connect us to a power that is beyond ourselves. It's the spiritual life and power of God himself. This was what Jesus was inviting us into, and this is what Jesus is inviting you and I into today in this season. So what are these spiritual practices? Well, Mike's talked about one last week, and even a couple weeks ago, he talked about the one spiritual practice. It was just something, a four-letter word, slow. S-L-O-W, slow is a spiritual practice. Yes, it is. It was a way of doing life where Jesus just had this different pace. You know, and our world that we live in is so hurried and it's this thing and that thing and this activity with the kids and then another activity with the kids and then we go home and then we do this other thing and it's like, go, 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 go. And, and, but Jesus, man, he modeled a different way of life. One of the practices where he just walks slow. And so when we take on this same spiritual practice, it's amazing what it does to our soul. If you missed last week, man, you want to tune in, you can find that message on our City Life website and you can watch it. It's so encouraging. But today, another spiritual practice that we're going to look at is one that's called solitude and silence. Oh, yes. Solitude and silence. What amazing gift that would be on Mother's Day, hey? There you go. All of you that didn't get mom a Mother's Day present, you know what you can do? You can give her this right now, today. Solitude and silence. And some of you are probably thinking, well, I'm tuning out because this doesn't apply to me. There is no way I'm ever going to be able to experience solitude and silence. You have no idea my life. You know what? Just stay with me because you know what? This is something that every single one of us can experience in life. And I just, I'd like to make an observation. See, I actually think that most of us, if I, and myself included, I could, it's just like, I don't have much solitude to silence and what are you talking about? But here's the thing, you most likely already do have a lot of solitude in your life. If you've been driving to work, You've got some moment of time, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, you probably got some solitude in those moments. Or maybe you have solitude in the form of the time that you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or making TikTok videos or, you know, you're on Snapchat or you're, you know, you're flipping through YouTube animal videos or, you know, the, the two hours or more that you're binging on Netflix or Disney Plus and watching all of the Pixar shorts like I like to do. <laughs> you know what the thing is? I think, I think if we were honest, we could look at moments in our life and we all have solitude in some shape or form. It's just that we're doing different things with that solitude. To say that we can't do solitude is probably not super accurate. It's just there are different ways to do solitude. See, there's some ways to do solitude that deplete us. And then there's other ways to do solitude that not only replenish us, they actually increase the capacity of our life. They increase the measure of peace. They increase the measure of joy. They increase our capacity to love and forgive and be at rest. See, there's different ways 
of doing solitude. And so we're going to check out a couple examples from Jesus' own life because this is the whole thing. He was inviting us to his way, to his yoke. It's like, well, what does that look like? How did Jesus practice solitude? And so first of all, right after his baptism, this is one of the, right before his whole public ministry, everything about his life all of a sudden went from 30 years of obscurity into the public spotlight like you wouldn't believe. This is what happened. Matthew 3, 17, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is God the Father Open, uh, the heavens open, and there was this voice declaring over Jesus. It was his heavenly father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But look at this. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became hungry, and then the devil showed up, is what it said. Now, when we think of that wilderness, we think of this really, this barren place, and it was like desert, and it was like, ooh, it was horrible, it was lonely. But that word also really means, it simply means a lack of population. It means more like a, a solitary place or a quiet place. And see, ten, usually, and, and I know I've read this story so many times, and it wasn't until recently I had a different perspective on it. See, usually we think the wilderness is a bad place. It's a place to avoid because we read a story like this and we say, oh, there's a bad thing. Like Jesus meant the devil in the, in the wilderness. It's like avoid the wilderness. Do you know what? I'd like to offer a different perspective. See, I think the wilderness wasn't a place to avoid. I think it was actually the place where Jesus gained the greatest strength to go toe-to-toe facing off against the enemy and win. So the wilderness, this solitary place, it became a place of strength in his life. So then moving from there, we see Jesus again. This next verse that I'm going to read, this is after his first day on the job, and it was one of the busiest recorded days in Jesus' whole life in ministry. It's from Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, in the morning before the sun was up, yes, Jesus was an early riser, Jesus went to a place where he could be alone, and he prayed there. But then moving on, when Jesus started to get famous, look at what it said about him. Mark 6, 31 to 32. Here's another one. All right, he said to his disciples, it's time for a break. Come away, just you, and we'll go somewhere lonely and private. The crowds of people were coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. Now, it wasn't the crowds that didn't have time to eat. It was Jesus and his disciples didn't have time to eat. So Jesus and his disciples went off privately in a boat to a deserted spot. See, over and over, we see Jesus, he was coming away from the busyness, from the noise, from the distractions and noise of life. But, and a lot of times you think, well, that was great for Jesus. He lived at a time where there wasn't all this other noise and crazy. You know what? There were a lot of other things that Jesus had to navigate. But this next place, look at this. After this, where Jesus and his, his disciples, they got in a boat. They were going across the lake. They were going to hang out the beach. But then this is maybe where Jesus becomes a little bit more relatable. The story goes on. It says, the crowd saw them going they realized what was happening and they hurried on foot from all the towns and arrived there first. In other words, they beat Jesus and his disciples to where they were going. When Jesus got out of the boat, he saw the huge crowd and he was deeply sorry for them because they were like a flock without a shepherd. 
And so he started to teach them many things. You know, Jesus tried to get some silence and solitude, but then life happened. People happened. Needs happened. And as we're going to see in a minute, it wasn't just few needs. It was 5,000 plus needs. And you know, moms or parents, you know what? Maybe you can relate to this. How many of you have ever tried to go get some silence and solitude and you had a whole bunch of humans following you and chasing you down? We're hungry, we're hungry, please feed me. <laughs> you know what? This is exactly what happened to Jesus. And this next story is a very famous story of Jesus where Jesus, he sees all these people and he's like, man, they're hungry, we gotta do something. The disciples are like, there's no food, send them home to get their own food. And Jesus is like, you feed them. And they're like, all we have is this little boy's lunch, five loaves to fish. Jesus says that will do. He takes it, prays, breaks it, and they feed over 5,000 people with one little boy's lunch. And everybody was like, this is awesome. But then look at what Jesus does. At the end, after this, at once, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and set sail across towards Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. He took his leave of them and went off up the mountain to pray. When evening came, he was alone on the shore. Jesus went to the beach all by himself. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And you know, one thing, this is what we discover about Jesus over and over. He was going off by himself. He was praying at the weirdest times. He's praying early in the morning. He was praying late at night. He was praying all through the night. And we're thinking, yeah, it's because Jesus, he's super spiritual. You know, I actually don't think that was the reason. I think he prayed early in the morning. He prayed late at night. He prayed through the night because that was the only time he could find peace and quiet. But it was because of this. He recognized that that time away, that solitude and silence with his heavenly father actually was more necessary for his soul than physical rest alone was. See, this other example, this, this one is in Luke 5, 15. It says, soon large crowds of people had gathered to listen and be healed of their ailments. As often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. The fuller Jesus' life got, the more he withdrew, the more he pulled away to the quiet to be refueled. I want that to sink in for a moment. Jesus... Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus needed quiet and solitude. Say that again. Jesus needed quiet and solitude. Jesus, God in the flesh, pulled away from the distractions often, as often as possible. Jesus withdrew to pray. Oh, if God needs silence and solitude, I think we do. <laughs> Jesus knew and lived by a different rhythm, and it was solitude and silence. Now, what do we mean by solitude? See, solitude isn't isolation. Isolation is escape. It involves fear. It involves, hey, I don't want to get... You know, we won't talk about that. But see, isolation is escape. Solitude is engagement. Very different. See, solitude is about setting aside a time to intentionally water and feed our soul. Solitude is about creating space for the checkup 
the checkup that our soul needs. It's to take that time to actually talk to our souls like, what is going on in my soul? What have I been looking to to replenish me? Solitude is about removing the distractions that block our access to hearing God. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I am an easily distracted person. And even, you know, if you've ever gone out, like having coffee with a friend or trying to have a conversation with a friend, you know, maybe you're sitting in a cafe or something and you're talking and then all of a sudden, like maybe a couple tables over or somewhere else, you, your head, like your ears catch one word of a conversation from a table or two tables over you and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, what are they talking about? And it's like, it grabs your attention and now you're trying to focus on your friend who's talking to you and you're nodding, but your head's going like, what are they saying? What are they saying? That's interesting. And so your brain is trying to do this in two different directions. If you've ever had that problem, I maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know, are you the only one? I'm not the, I hope I'm not the only one. But if you've ever tried to follow two different conversations at the same time, it's now take that and multiply it by about a hundred at least. And that's the challenge that our soul has when it comes to trying to hear God speaking to our soul in the midst of the noise and the busyness of the world that we live in. See, solitude is creating space to hear the voice that matters most. And it's the voice of your heavenly father who wants to speak his love and his encouragement and his peace and his favor and his life into your soul. It's that solitude. See, silence, there's two kinds of silence. See, I believe that you can experience silence even when there's, you know, there's a, you might be in a place where it's just like, well, I physically can't get the silence because it's just it's too noisy. See, there is external silence where there's no noise. But then there's also a different kind of silence. That's, it's, it's a silence internally where that internal chatter and that commentary where, you know, we just have that little voice going on in your head. You know, again, maybe, I hope I'm not the only one, but it's like that comment on everything and I have an opinion about everybody and a thought about everything and it just is going off nonstop. Does anybody else have that going on in your head? And you know, those constant failures or the constant worries and guilt and shame or even regret and anxiety, we just have all of that going on in our head. And see, could it be that maybe we fill our lives with the external noise so that we don't have to listen to that internal noise? We try to drown out the internal chatter of worry and you should have done this and you should have been better at that and all the shoulda, woulda, couldas. We don't want to listen to those voices, so we just turn up the external noise. But you know what? We need, we need that silence and quiet externally in order to create that silence in our soul. So what do we discover in the solitude and silence? You know what? We discover, we intentionally create that space for that pulling away, silencing things, just those moments of silence. We discover the rest and refreshing that our soul actually really needs. And, and see, when, when we give our, when we replenish our soul with the substance it was designed to be refueled by, and you know what that substance is? It's the life of God, the presence of God, the power of God. That's what our soul really needs. And see, when we feed and we allow our soul to be replenished with the substance it was designed to gain strength from, we won't be looking to other things that never satisfy our soul. 
See, what else do we discover in the solitude and silence? Well, we discover the internal chatter is replaced by that voice of our heavenly father speaking that life into us. And you know what? We receive God's power and his courage to actually do the things that we need to do to actually let go of those coping mechanisms, those things that, you know, we've been looking to that aren't really supplying anything that will replenish and refuel us. And, you know, here's an interesting thing that happens. I personally experience this, and this doesn't make sense. This is what I call one of the paradoxes of solitude. When we learn how to be alone, loneliness loses its power in our life. Loneliness becomes less loud in our life. How does that work? I actually don't know, I just know it does. See, when we actually learn, our soul learns how to be alone with God, then we're not so fearful and anxious about being alone. So here we go. How do we actually do this? How do you create solitude? How do you create this kind of quiet and this place where it's just like, okay, how do I, how do I actually get this and make this happen? Well, I'm gonna tell you one thing, it's this. Own up to the fact that some of our devices our little things, whether it's iPads, whether it's phones, whatever it is, we need to own up to the fact that our devices are probably controlling us more than what we think. <laughs> and you know, if you've been tuning in for the last couple of weeks, you might be things like, why are you talking so much about our phones and our devices? It's like, well, because they're kind of a problem. <laughs> and you know what? We gotta own up to the fact that that phone probably controls us more than what we think. It's honestly, it's the version, it's a, it's a version of a 21st century idol or it's at least the gateway to the idols in our world today. And we gotta own up to the fact that, you know what? My phone is a little bit too loud in my life. And the second thing that we can do is number two, consider making a list of whatever it is that you habitually tune tune to or turn to when life gets frazzled, when you get frazzled, when you encounter stress and anxiety and crisis in life, who do you turn to? What do you tune to? You know, maybe it's substances. Maybe it's just like, you know, oh, I don't know what to do. And we flip through our phone or on Instagram or we're on Facebook or we're gaming or we're looking at crazy animal videos or whatever it is. And you know, what, did, what, what are those things that we tune to when stress and anxiety hit? And you're saying, well, what is it? Why should I make a list? Well, you know what it does? Is it calls those things out. It calls them out for what they really are. And it allows us to take those things and we write them down, make a list or whatever, and just say, God, I'm surrendering these things. I'm actually gonna reassign them a different priority in my life. They're not gonna be my go-to anymore. God, you're gonna be my go-to. And then here, the third thing, how do you create solitude? Just try it. Start small. Don't think, well, I don't have a half an hour. I can't do this. Or, I don't have an hour. I don't have an afternoon. You know what? Just try five minutes. Five minutes is sometimes where it starts. Take five minutes, sit down with your coffee or cup of tea. This is what I love to do. And this is, believe me, if you try it for five minutes, it's a little bit more of a challenge than what you think. But five minutes, you just sit and you be quiet. This isn't emptying your mind. 
because that's not good. This is about fixing your mind on how good God is. Not praying, don't talk. Yes, I'm saying, don't talk to God for five minutes. Just, you know why? Because prayer is conversation. And if we don't talk, if we don't start, God, I need this, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, then it allows God the opportunity to start the conversation with us. But we quiet ourselves, we grab our coffee, this is what we do. If this were me right now, if you weren't watching, if there was no one else in this room, I would drink my coffee, I'd sit here, it's like, God, I'm here. And you know what's probably gonna happen? You're gonna hear the to-do list go off in your head. You're gonna hear all of the things that you should have done better. You're gonna hear about all of those little voices of you have no right to be talking to God because of one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is. And you know what you do? You're gonna have to shut up the little chatterbox in your head. I do this all the time. It's like, shh, you can't talk. And it might come up again. You're like, no talking. (laughs) You gotta talk to yourself and you quiet. It is an act of discipline, but you watch. It's like, God, you are good. And you start thinking about how good God is. Maybe sitting doesn't work for you. Go for a walk outside. Leave your phone behind. But take it five minutes. You know what? Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's your commute where you're going to work. You're driving and instead of flipping on the music or podcast or whatever it is, it's like, okay, God, I'm here. You got my attention. You know, and for those of you where this season is a little bit too full on, where you're thinking, oh man, I can't do this. You know what? Just be honest and take a moment to just think, what am I really doing that's maybe taking my solitude time and I'm putting it to something else? But then this last part, be expectant. Expect God to meet you. I want to read these words of Jesus one more time to you. I want you to just keep your eyes closed. And I want you to listen. And I want you to take this as his personal invitation to you this morning. And especially, this is for you know those of you that are watching that you've maybe felt really far from God. Maybe you've never really thought anywhere in any positive way about God. Maybe God being up close and personal has not been something you've even wanted but something's been changing, something's been stirring, and maybe you just watched by an accident today or watched intentionally, or you've been kind of wondering maybe from afar off, or you felt distant from God. Maybe at one time you felt close with him, but you feel distant from him. I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to listen to these words. This is his invitation to you today. Come to me, get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. And you know what, with your eyes closed, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer of response. It's responding to this invitation of Jesus, this invitation to follow him, to follow his way of life, to put on that yoke that is easy and allow him to bring strength and to bring peace into your soul. Why don't you pray with me? Say, Jesus, I say yes 
to following you, to following your way, to doing life in the unforced rhythms of your grace. Jesus, thank you for a new start today. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor as a church to play just a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to seeing you soon here at City Life.